0: Welcome to Run It Again, Episode 7. I'm Ron Pitts with the coach, Mike Marks. Coming up, Commissioner Roger Goodell says the NFL was wrong for not listening to the players. We'll break down the NFL top receivers for the upcoming season and college football already testing positive for COVID-19. Don't forget to visit runitagainpodcast.com and make sure you hit that subscribe button. You're listening to a Town and McBay Media Podcast Network production. We'll be back right after this message.
1: There are families that will go hungry tonight. Every day, people who have been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. The need is greater than ever before, and your neighbors need your help. Donate today to support communities facing hunger during this time of uncertainty. Every dollar you give can provide at least 10 meals to children and families in need through the Feeding America Network of Food Banks. Please make a donation today at feedingamerica.org. Thank you.
2: Get ready for the Run It Again podcast. Huddle up, huddle up. Every week. You'll be hearing stories that take you beyond the daily sports grind. With unique insight from former NFL star and broadcaster Ron Pitts. Just feels
0: like the college football season discussion gets more and more complicated.
2: And the mastermind behind the greatest show on earth, Super Bowl winning coach
3: Mike Martz. I do think professional sports has such an impact on the American psyche that I think everybody's going to want to try and get this up and running in some version of it.
2: Connect you directly to the source
3: and tell you what's really going on. Biggest issue is, and I think this is important, is they're not exposed to family Oh oh boy, that's going to be interesting.
2: With conversations and tales from guys on the inside. So click the button to subscribe for free and you'll get episodes sent straight to your phone every week. It's Run It Again.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Run It Again. I'm Ron Pitts with the coach, Mike Martz. Well, Mike, let me see now. We got uh, the bubonic plague back in the 1300s, the Great Depression, uh, 9-11, and uh, now the George Floyd incident. A lot's been going on. And uh, then something else happened that I, I didn't think I would actually see during my lifetime, at least uh, not the way it was done and w- the words that were said. This is what NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell had to say to the country and even the world on Friday.
4: It has been a difficult time for our country, in particular, black people in our country. First, my condolences to the families of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and all the families who have endured police brutality. We, the National Football League, condemn racism and the systematic oppression of black people. We, the National Football League, admit we were wrong for not listening to NFL players earlier and encourage all to speak out and peacefully protest. We, the National Football League, believe black lives matter. I personally protest with you and want to be part of the much needed change in this country without black players there would be no national football league and the protests around the country are emblematic of the centuries of silence inequality and oppression of black players coaches fans and staff we are listening i am listening and i will be reaching out to players who have raised their voices and others on how we can improve and go forward for a better and more united NFL family.
0: Wow! So let's let's digest this, Mike. That that was significant. It, that that was significant in my eyes for a couple reasons. The the first and foremost, I I don't think that I've ever heard an NFL official, you know, a, a member of the NFL executive office, et cetera, et cetera, ever come out and say something and be that direct, especially a topic like this, and be that direct, that uh, in your face with it, and really address a problem that everyone knows is a problem uh, that that the league has tried to run from for a long time, and he m- admitted it during that statement, but he hit it right, right in the mouth, and, and it was something that was long overdue.
3: He did, and it is long overdue. It's a complete reversal in attitude and perspective.
0: Yeah, exactly. And the fact
3: that he's re- he's representing all 32 owners I think is extremely important. Um, and I think people have to understand that when you're the spokesman for the whole NFL and all these owners, you know, every word that comes out of your mouth is analyzed, and you've got to appease these guys, too, to some extent. So, yeah. Um, but it was so huge that he came out like this and made that statement. It surprised me. But it's, uh, you know, time for the change has to happen, uh, the recognition of it. Uh, I think uh, gone was any mention of Colin uh, Kaepernick, which I think is important. Yeah. I think it's very important because I think, you know, then it becomes about Colin and he, you know, that whole thing. So it's, it's more than that. It's about social change and something that has to happen and a recognition of that change. And uh, then I think what he has to do now, he really does need to come back and address Colin Kaepernick. In, right. one, in one way or the other. and But this was about doing the right thing and just very pleased that he did do that. There was a sentence in there that just, you know, I wish he had not used that without black players, this would be there would be no NFL. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's mm-hmm. obvious. So, you know, there'll be somebody will look at that. I don't think he meant it this way, but people may look at that like, well, that's why you're saying it's because. You know, without these players, you're peasing them. Without them, then there's no league and you would have a job, et cetera, et cetera. I don't believe that's what he meant by that. But I wish he had just come out and just said, well, this is the right thing to do. Not because of anything, but this is just simply the right thing to do.
0: Yeah, what, what I, I believe sparked at least this phase of it was the the comments made by Drew Brees. Now, now we all know what Drew Brees represents to the NFL. I mean, I, I've talked to the guy many a times and – and and have had pleasant conversations with him, a a, a true football mind. He represents, for all intents and purposes, or or at least did, the face of the NFL. He came out with a statement last week, a few days before Roger Goodell's statement, uh, that was very different and very unusual, and and, and quite honestly, it shocked me, uh, and he didn't stand with the black players in the league. And so, to me, I felt like, the NFL said, okay, we've got to address this. Because, Mike, I'll tell you, I, uh, all the time, all the years I've been in this business, I've never seen players get upset like like the black players got upset in the last week about this whole thing. And when Drew Brees made the, those comments, I think they felt like, well, now that's great. This is the face of the league, and he's going to say that. Now, where does that put me? What, what, how do you feel about me as a person and my rights and, 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 and my people? And now, where does that put us going forward? And I honestly believe that if the league didn't make that kind of address that Roger Goodell made on Friday, that the players were considering walking out. Wow. And, you, and, and, and it, I mean, it was that serious. And they may have walked out on opening day around right. that time
3: you know it's it's uh interesting what he said i i get why he said it and how he said it because it's kind of the american experience to me ron is is different for all of us and for a lot of white america it's hard to visualize or accept that somebody's got a different experience than you do you know he's talking about his grandfather in europe and world war ii my dad flew it was a top turret gunner and those bombers over Berlin, <clears throat> and he survived and, you know, it was a heck of a deal. He came back with uh, PTSD and all that and became a drunk and just had a very difficult life. But at the same time that all this is going on, there's a segregated base over there in London uh, with a group called the Red Tails Fund. I didn't know about this until 20 years ago.
0: The Tuskegee Airmen. Yep. Yeah.
3: And so all this in the segregation and. You know, they weren't smart enough and all that dumb stuff about uh, the technology of flying they can't do. All that ignorance existed just that short time ago. Right. And so and it just gets perpetuated. And he he's not acknowledging any of that. So his experience is different. You know, now how about the 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 grandkids and the, the sons of those airmen, the Red Tails? How, how about those guys? You know, yeah. what's there, it's totally different. Drew Brees was never arrested for driving while black or jogging while black. He was never pulled right. over for any of those things. So he can't, and neither, and neither have I. But the empathy that you have to have, for, you have to understand it exists. And to deny that, which his statement basically did, he made it more about patriotism in, in terms of, in, instead of what's really the problem. And he just didn't get it. And But you know what, Ron? That's a lot of white Americans. And what's happened when this is on the tube now and you see – you see George being murdered there right in front of everybody's eyes. You can't turn away from that and ignore that. And so I think that's why everybody got so angry. Obviously, Drew had seen that, but yet went on to this this patriotism tilt and, and made it so, about something different. No, 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 no. No, no. That, that's, there's still a problem. We need to fix this. And, and I, yeah. fortunately, he's come around, and, and uh, I think he probably understands it. But I think a lot of change, a lot of social change within – particularly white America's got to happen.
0: Yeah, I, I've never been about, ever, and my father was never about doing anything that's going to disrespect this country and, in particular, disrespect the flag and it's something that represents the flag like the national anthem. We covet that. We understand that. But that's not what Colin Kaepernick's story was about. And and Drew Brees later came out and admitted this, and, and and his wife also, and I I I give her credit as well. Her, his wife stood up and said, "Quote unquote, hey, we are the problem. We, we we need to learn to listen and truly understand." And Drew admitted that too. Now I understand uh, what the real issue is about. So if if it's taking Drew Brees, who is around uh, black players. All day long, so to speak, during an NFL season. I mean, if he can't understand that right off, then how I guess can we expect so many uh, other Americans, white Americans, to to get it right away?
3: Well, Ron, this has been this has been perpetuated for a long time. Yeah. Hey, there's yeah. a there's a problem, but but and then they just ne- it's never really been addressed. The racism has never really been identified as truly existing. And to me, it's, it's the American experience. It's everybody's experience in this country is different. And you have to recognize that. And before you, can, but um, unless yeah. you can embrace that fact that everybody's ex- and see this country through somebody else's eyes and have empathy and and concern and understanding for those things that, that they're trying to get through, then it'll never change. And I think when he came out and did this, I think it, it, especially the commissioner too now coming out and do a reversal and making a bold statement like he did, I think is huge. And I think it's historic, like you said, Ron. And I think Drew Brees can do a lot more uh, now that he has a a better understanding. But I think that's just, in general, white America. They they just don't – we have not for years really gotten the point or really believed it, I guess, in some respect.
0: What's interesting about uh, how I believe the the Goodell – statement came about, uh, there was a, a, a person in the NFL league office uh, who took it upon himself to reach out to NFL players. And I'm not just talking about you know a guy here and there. I'm talking about the big time NFL players like uh, uh, Pat Mahomes, guys like that, the, the top players, and say, hey, would you like to make a statement? to the Floyd family, and not just the Floyd family, but to all of America. We can't stand silent. And he gave players around the league a chance to be involved. In it. And it wasn't just the black players. I want to make sure I'm clear Now that. He, he gave all of the players, because this, this, is, this league is about all of us. He gave everyone a chance to voice their opinion. And that's something that has never really happened to this magnitude before. The NFL would always squash whatever the players had to say, and especially if it were controversial then that, that was going to get, you know backstabbed in, in a minute. You would never hear about it ever again. It would the narrative would get changed on it and it would disappear. But that didn't happen this time. And by the time Roger Goodell heard about this, it was too late. The, the league, the players, black players in the league and white players, they, they had jumped on board with it. And so at that point now he had to make a decision. Either I'm going to ride this train or I'm going to stand back and be a form of the resistance on it. And obviously he he chose to to get on board and ride the train.
3: Well, hopefully and I think this is probably accurate, I hope it is anyway, that he there's an understanding that happened like with drew an yeah. acceptance that that forced social change even but that this has to change, just has yeah. to. And that's when it becomes historic and I think uh at this point, um, I, he, he more than just represents the league, he also has to represent himself. And that barrier, as you well know, Ron, it's that us against him mentality, owners versus yeah. players, you know, yeah. the ownership versus players and coaches. And that that has to erode. There certainly has to be that respect both ways, but I think this goes a long, long way. And I do believe, I want to believe anyway, that's heartfelt and he's trying to do the right thing. So yeah, uh, I think this is, This is a big step for for this country.
0: Yeah. Mike, why is there that divide? You know, people ask me all the time, well, why can't you guys have the same, uh, you know, collective bargaining agreement like baseball and basketball? How come your pension, even though they just made an adjustment, is so much lower? And in fact, quite honestly, it's embarrassing compared to baseball and basketball and the other big time sports. But there's always been this. Us versus them disconnect. It's like in baseball, they call the locker room the clubhouse. It's a club. You know, Come on in, guys. You're a part of the club. Football, it's the locker room. <laughs> you know, well, the baseball coach, is the, he's not the head coach. He's the manager. In football, he's the head coach, the general. Do what he says. Don't cross him. There's always been that separation, Mike, and,
3: and it's still there. I think there is, to some extent, I, this goes back that we could spend hours talking about yeah. this, Ron. There's, yeah. I've been in some of these meetings, being on the competition committee and listening and being around owners in, um, in very private and personal discussions, and there, I just think that these guys are so wealthy, these new owners, particularly the modern owner in this league, they just don't have a heck of a lot of. They've made their money a certain way they don't have a heck of a lot of respect for players and even less for coaches, to be honest with you. Mm, Yeah. yeah. They just feel like, you know, I hate saying this, but they, they're just, they're just not, they just don't think they're at all at their peer. And I get all that to some extent, but, and that's how they, you know, they'll appease, but what they really believe, nobody really knows. And I just have never gotten a good feel for that. And, I think the original owners in the league, how they got this league going, they loved the football, but a lot more corporate mentality with these owners today, and the love of the game isn't probably what it should be or could be, and I may be way out of line saying for that, I'm not trying to put words in their mouth or anything, but I just think that that's the way it is when you get into these large corporations anymore, it's just uh, it's a little bit more cutthroat.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a business, it's a big-time uh, Fortune 500-type business, and that's the mentality, and... You know, it's it's kind of always been, hey, you're you know, you're working in that field and, and and I'm driving by in the big Cadillac, do you want to go play football? You take it or leave it. If you don't want to go, I'll get someone else. And so it's that that, that well, like, trickle down like has always
3: been there. Like Al Davis said to one of his coaches, Hey, listen, uh, you take this contract or there's there's a hundred guys at the door, I can go out and hire anybody to come oh, and do boy. what you do. That kind of thing. Oh, so it's, boy. That it's, it's that mentality. It's that you mentality. Know? And
0: my, that mentality has been there. Forever, I, I remember I had a coach once. Uh, this was a training camp. He said, "Men, take care of your job, because if you don't, we'll get you out of here as fast as an Indy car can change tires, <laughs> and it yeah. takes about two point three seconds to change four yep. tires and do yep. about six other things on one of those cars." So, the point got home pretty quick. But that's. that's but the way you know, it's been. Ron,
3: there's no other sport with this many moving pieces either. Yeah, you know, with the numbers yeah. of the people on the team and and having to bring that all together and, and bond it and put it together and get that thing out on the field and play well and all that stuff. There's just so many moving pieces. It's, there has to be a certain amount of pressure and discipline from above. I get all that, but uh, in terms of the negotiations, it's just different with every club, you know, some, some are a lot easier than others.
0: Yeah. Now it'll be interesting to see what, Roger Goodell does going forward, as you just alluded to there, Mike. Okay, so he's come out and he's made the statement. And at least for now, I think a lot of the players have said, okay, thank you for at least acknowledging that there is a problem instead of sweeping it under the, the proverbial rug like they've done for so long. But the narrative out of the White House is questionable as to where. uh, Roger Goodell is going w- with this national anthem thing. You know, are, are, are you saying, and Don- Donald Trump said this, are you saying that it's okay to let players kneel for the national anthem? So we still are going to have to get to this point. It's sad as it is. And, and and something's going to happen. Everyone's going to have to, I think, Mike, I would hope be on the same page in some way, shape or form.
3: Yeah, this is difficult. I don't think you can legislate whether somebody takes it in or not. I think the, you know, the interpretation of that, like I said, a lot of people see this more as a uh, patriotism thing is as opposed to a racial issue that needs to be addressed and fixed. Right. And there's a divide there. Now, Colin used that opportunity to bring attention to it. When that first happened, I wasn't happy about it, to be honest no. with you. I was not yeah. happy about it. But I get it. You, you can't see what happened to George and, and um, have the same feeling. You, you can't. Yeah. It's impossible. So um, I don't know. I, I think that uh, they'll play the national anthem, obviously. And then you have to do what uh, your conscience tells you to do. And any interpretation from that is... I don't think anybody on any football team has wants to re- disrespect this country or the American flag. I don't. Yeah, I, I didn't not. know that before, but I don't believe that anymore. I just they're they're yeah. trying to make a point about, you know, the situation and and uh, and I I have a different feeling about it now than I did back then. Yeah.
0: So now, Mike, just say you're 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 coaching today, and you're one of the thirty-two head coaches. What do you say to your team regarding this right now, if anything at all?
3: Well I first of all we'll have a discussion uh, just about every day about um, what's happened socially uh, you have to you do have to address it and stay with you guys in terms of what's going on and then you have to leave it to each individual do what you feel like you need to do uh, yeah if, if you feel like you still need to continue to take make a statement if right. um, if you guys as a group feel like you all want to take a knee or if you don't want that that's fine uh, you can't legislate that type of thing you've got to allow them to express themselves and and uh do that and what no matter what anybody says you know you this that's one of the things that makes us such a great country yeah all
0: right well to be continued i can guarantee right. you there'll be more of this and we'll uh, i just we'll won't play football to ron about. i just oh. won't see
3: football game you know? can,
0: can you can you can you imagine what kind of antacid that uh well a lot of the country's been on with, with everything we've gone through, but. Roger Goodell, when he didn't think that the first five months of 2020 were going to be like this, did he?
3: No, but I, you know, going back to your original question too about where where do we go? Where does Roger go from here in the league? The very first thing he does need to do is he needs to address Colin Kaepernick that situation. Yeah, Uh, he didn't include him in the statement, which I thought was the right thing to do, but eventually. That needs to be addressed, and and, uh, he does need to be given the opportunity. Now, I will tell you this. Aside from everything, I was never a big fan of him as a quarterback, so Mm. I kind of got that. I I just don't think he has the read and react. I think what they did with him was very, very effective, and I don't know where he is now as a player, but uh, at least he should be given the opportunity.
0: All right, Coach, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Run It Again after this message.
1: Not too long ago, there were people who never dreamed they would need help feeding their families. But then the pandemic hit, and their income suddenly stopped, leaving them with no means to buy food. Now, these are people you know, your neighbors, but you can help. If you donate just $1, you can provide at least 10 meals for these people through the Feeding America network of food banks. Imagine what $10 would do, or even 20 Please donate today at feedingamerica.org. Thank you.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Run It Again. I'm Ron Pitts with the coach, Mike Martz. If you talk about quarterbacks, I think you have to now talk about receivers. And everybody's been pretty excited about this, this group of young receivers that have come out in the draft, uh, guys like C.D. Lamb. You know, A lot of people are looking to, to for big things from and a couple other kids. But in general, Mike, who are the top receivers out there that that tend to catch your eye? And you've been around some great ones and some coached some great ones. My gosh, I don't even know how you can not be biased in this sense. But are there a couple guys you like?
3: There is actually. There's more than a couple. There's there's a lot of really good players in the league right now. Um, you can never get by Julio Jones. He may end up being <laughs> the best all time. Um, yeah. I do know watching him on tape that people have to double him or they've got to take him away somehow, some way. And when the offensive line hasn't been well and, and the quarterback's nicked and whatnot, they've not been able to, to get him the ball. But I don't know that I've ever seen anybody uh, with his abilities do what he can do. You know, he's mm-hmm. the pull pack, He's the big guy with the speed, the quickness, the hands, you know, acceleration. So I think for me, it all starts with Julio. And then after that, there's a guy out there, Ron, that I'm very partial to. Not because I know him real well, obviously, but I just watched him coming out of college. And then at, at Oakland, Amari Cooper really didn't – they just didn't do a whole lot with him. You know, he was a yeah. good player. But I went down to camp and I watched him at Dallas here last last summer. And uh, now he played most of the season. He was really dinged up and was hurt and kind of bad. But he has that big guy. He can stick his foot in the ground and change direction like you like guys to do. Yeah, Great acceleration terrific uh, range. He is uh, he is absolutely worth the money they gave him, in my opinion. And I think from this point on, I really think, and I don't know anything about fantasy football, but if I'm involved in that and I'm on a team, I'm going to grab this guy because right now he is just hitting his stride. And I think he is he is an awful lot like Julio in some respects. You know, then DeAndre Hopkins, obviously the big guy that makes all those plays. he got great hands. But to me – you know, the acceleration, the ability to change direction and and run after the catch. Guys like Tyreek Hill, uh, you know, Amari Cooper, th- those are the guys that stand out for me and I, I just think are pretty special. And, you know, uh, Thomas down in New Orleans, he had a phenomenal here. Yep, Mike
0: Thomas, yeah. But, you know, yep.
3: um, he's, you know, Ron, he's got a great quarterback. They've got a great offensive line. You know, there's a lot of good working parts down there. And they they work at getting the ball, and he makes plays. He's a real good player. But to me, Amari Cooper, Julio Jones, obviously DeAndre, DeAndre is there. But DeAndre doesn't have that change of direction. He's a run geo. He's just physical, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But those are the yeah. two that I really like. And I, yeah. I would think Amari's going to really put the league on its here this year.
0: Yeah. does it Did it surprise you at all that he left Oakland, was allowed to get out of there?
3: No, there was a disconnect there somehow. And he's too big a talent. And I don't know what happened there. I really don't. Yeah. But I watched him from his rookie year on. And he was such a big talent coming out of college. And I was really curious. I really wanted to see him, how well he did. And he just, nothing ever really, you know, nothing really transpired, you you know, with him in terms of using, utilizing him and developing his abilities and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, And I don't know whether he just didn't like the guy or what. I, I mean, I don't know. But I do know this. He's where he needs to be now. Yeah. He really is. And, and even last year. But I think, too, with Mike McCarthy coming down there, too, I think that this is really can be an outstanding opportunity for him.
0: Yeah, that's right. Well, I, I know you know a little bit about catching the ball because you were somewhat of a phenom in college. I, well, I, I was. heard a I was story. Yes, yeah, triple, <laughs> <threat. laughs> yeah,
3: triple threat. Yeah, the triple threat. What you say? Double triple, fumble, th- and fall, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's I wasn't a big. I wasn't dribble. strong. I couldn't run fast, but I catch the ball, Ron. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> Catch everything, right? Yep. Catch, yeah, that, caught, every, caught all six passes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I heard you had so much torque, you uh, you you ripped the hamstring off the bone one time.
3: I didn't even know what a hamstring was when I tore my hamstring <laughs> in college. That's that's the truth. I did not know what it was. We we're doing those extra genies. You know, to warm up. And, Exergenie, Oh my yeah, gosh! I do. I remember that. Fence, and then you had another player kind of get on the other end of the rope. It's about, yeah.
0: my dad had one of those. I, I remember I used to, to hold one end of it while he was working out. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And then you, you walk <laughs> in. Well, the guy that was holding it, uh, was walking in and, and I was coming off, you know, with straps on my shoulder and it kind of holds you back. And he stopped to say something to somebody and just went snap. So Jeez. <laughs> it was our first day of fall camp. And, uh, and they had a they had a little play that they had put in especially for me. I had a pretty good spring, and so <laughs> Coach Everest Mike March, boy, what's the matter with you? You can't run. You straighten that leg on out, and I couldn't do it. You know, he's from Texas down there at SMU, and I, said, Coach, I can't handle it. I can't do it. <laughs> what's wrong with you, boy? Well, it was bad. It was. Yeah, you know, I was out for a long time.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, this uh, this is up at uh, UC Santa Barbara.
3: It was national news,
0: right? It was. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was nasty. nasty. I was
3: so good pulling hamstrings that three weeks later, they went out and practiced and, and toured again. So I was real good at it. Um, I didn't even know gosh. what a hamstring was, to be honest, but I had no idea. Guys they can't run fast, they don't know what a hamstring is.
0: Hey, that's back when UC Santa Barbara was playing football.
3: Yeah, we were the first Man. class in there. There twenty twenty 20 guys on full scholarship. We went there. There's 80 or 90 guys on partials. So you can say, right. you know right away that we were – well-received right so yeah, yeah we did so well they dropped the program right after the season then they, went to they, Fresno State
0: they, they honored the program they dropped yep. it wow yeah mm. I'm Ron Pitts with the coach Mike Martz be sure and join us every Tuesday for a new episode of run it again well college football they're uh, they're itching to go we know that but uh, they're also itching to find out how many guys have tested positive I I, the, the last number I saw was was 16, and I think it's even bigger than that now, of, of positive COVID-19 tests. So that, again, fuels that existing fire of do they play or, or do they not play and how do they play and keep everyone around them safe, including the fans, whether they're in the stands or not, whether they're you know 10 yards apart in the stands or not. And I think more importantly,
3: the students. When you look at this, and I know uh, I was reading that Arkansas State had seven. But there Set, was a wow. player, yeah, there's a player down in Oklahoma State that had participated in a protest, you know, one of the marches down there. And then when he came back, he was tested positive. So now they're all asymptomatic, you know, they all are. Uh, you know, so they didn't show any symptoms, so they didn't know they had it. But how do you deal with all this? So when they're testing these guys in groups, I don't quite understand how they manage this, you know, um, you test them before they come in two weeks ahead of time where they live and then let them come in and test them again. Or I I don't know how you coordinate, how can you get these guys all together and then you got to Uh, quarantine them and then who have they been with? And these guys are going to have to get tested just about every day to start with at least for the first few weeks. Anyway, I would think. And then the other part of it is he's in this protest march, right?
4: Well, Mm -hmm. it's the
3: same kind of concept. If you're in a stadium and you know, you're just next to these people and maybe they're not as careful as you are and you know, you mm-hmm. put some of those people in the stands, it becomes like Italy. You know, that soccer game, 50,000 people, when it just kind of exploded. So right. I don't know how they can put people in the stands. They really don't.
0: Well, the the first question for me is, okay, so if the University of Alabama, week seven, and let's say they're number one in the conference, rolling along like, uh, like they usually do, okay, and all of a sudden uh, two offensive linemen and a defensive back – come up dirty on, on a COVID-19 test. Now, you're telling me you're going to quarantine that whole offensive line? You're going to quarantine the whole secondary? You're going to disrupt your, your flow completely throughout the whole team? I, 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 I'm I not saying that won't happen. I, I want to see it happen. I just don't believe that that's realistic.
3: Well, I think the only thing you can do, and I read this somewhere, that they really kind of plan on testing them on a daily basis. A so daily one, basis, wow. On a daily basis. So, once yeah. they're together – yeah. If those guys all tested, but there's the other guys still tested negative, then I think you can quarantine them and continue on. But your point's well taken. You know, if they if they're not testing them that much, then you have to think that you got to test everybody and see if you know if they're positive. So once they've tested positive, you got to go back and test that whole group that they're with. You know, so right, right. It's, I think the, right. there's going to have to be a constant testing and monitoring, and they they really have to kind of keep them separate. So. I think it's doable. Uh, the SEC obviously is is bent on getting it done. I don't know that you can put people in the stands and take that chance. I, I just don't think you can do that.
0: <laughs> I'm like, I want to see Clemson. I want to see Georgia, Alabama, you know, all of those schools. They, when they're having a nice year, all of a sudden uh, they get a couple tests and they say, "Well, we're gonna we're gonna change it up. We're gonna we're gonna shut it down over here and do what we have to do." I, I just don't know that they can morally do that. <laughs> That yeah. football is first and everything else is second in that part of the country. If you know what I'm saying?
3: Yeah. They just have got to have a, a plan. And, and Ron, I'll be honest with you. I think you have to test these guys every day. And what, what's that say to the rest of the public? And that's a lot know, of money. Well, I know. Oh well, my gosh. So, a, oh. and some schools will be able to do that. Some won't, but yeah. I don't know how else you do it. If everybody comes in and tests negative and you have a clean start, then you have to periodically. How often? You know, there has to be a plan. There has to be something, a guideline in place, not just for conferences, but through the NC2A. I don't know if that can happen. I just don't know if there's that kind of leadership at the NC2A.
0: Yeah. Well, to be continued.
3: Right. Along exactly. with everything
0: else. All right, my man. That's it for us. I will. Uh, I'll see you next week.
3: Sounds good, Ron. Look forward to it.
0: Look forward to it, buddy. We'll find something else to talk about. It'll be there bet on that now don't forget to visit runitagainpodcast.com and be sure and hit that subscribe button i'm ron pitts with the coach mike martz and we hope you enjoyed this episode hey be sure and join us next tuesday as we take a close look at the full protocols of reopening the nfl facilities remember we're just two old pros trying to make you think a little
2: stay safe everyone Run It Again with Ron Pitts and coach Mike Martz, a Benstown and McVeigh Media Podcast Networks production. Executive produced by Roy Hamilton, producer Ted Woods, and technical engineer is Kevin Horton. You can follow us on Facebook and
4: Instagram by searching at Run It Again Podcast.